Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm your host, Carmen LaBerge, and I just want to say that if you missed uh, my conversation with Asherita Chuchu in the uh, in the second half of the last hour, you're you're clearly going to need to go back and listen to it because when I told uh, listeners that we had books available, man, they blew up the text line. So um, a high level of interest in how it is that we get into the Bible with breakfast. No, no, no Bible, no breakfast. Uh, And so how is it that we are getting into the Word of God early in the day? How are we integrating that into our morning routine? I thank you for including me in uh, in whatever it is that you're doing right now, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. I thank you that you are interested in bringing the Word of God and the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of the day. That's what we are seeking to do here on this program. You can get more of what we're doing at MyFaithRadio.com. I also have a ministry website called ReconnectWithCarmen.com. I have a new post there after our conversation yesterday um, about death and the reality that death comes. And so um, if you if you just need, I don't know, a little equipping on everything that's going on in the world right now and how terminal some things feel, you know, here's the reality. We're all going to die. Everybody's going to die. It's actually the one thing that every human being has in common. We have little else in common, but we have that in common. We also have sin in common, but harder to start a conversation about sin. Pretty easy right now to start a conversation about death. Why is that? Well, because uh, the world is um, attuned. The world is attuned to the death of one particular individual uh, named Kobe Bryant. But even, even already today, that conversation is moving beyond um, astonishment and uh, jaw-dropping anguish to um, farewell. We moved from rest in peace to farewell in less than a 24-hour news cycle. And so it's important for us as Christians to be prepared to enter into the conversations of the day on the day that people are having that conversation. And so when people are ripe for a conversation about mortality and about the very nearness of eternity, and are then asking the eternal questions that they are otherwise not asking because they are um, so consumed with simply the rhythms of life and the routines and getting done today what they think they need to get done and living, uh, living whatever they perceive to be their best life now. When people are asking the ultimate questions, when they are asking about life's meaning and their purpose and where they are going to spend eternity and how they get from here to, uh, to heaven, when people are primed for those conversations, you and I need to be prepared to have them. And so if you want some equipping on that, uh, visit me at reconnectwithcarmen.com. Up next, I've got Justin Gibney. He and I are going to, well, I'm going to ask him to share with us since you and I are not going to be um, at uh, at this president's conference that uh, that Justin's speaking at, I'm going to ask him to preview what his comments there. I'm also going to ask him 
to um, to share with us what happened a couple of weeks ago when he was engaged uh, on MLK Day in, in something called City Roots Atlanta. They had an event that day. We talked with him uh, in the lead up to it. I, I want to get a little report. And then I obviously want his insights in terms of the presidential primary season. So all of that up next here with here, here with me on Mornings with Carmen. Justin Gibney is joining me now. Uh, Justin is, I think he would probably want me to tell you first that he's a Christian, a husband, a dad. He's an attorney. He's a political strategist. He is, uh, uh, he used to play football. He's a seminary student. He's got a lot going on. Uh, he's also the executive director of the AND Campaign. You can find him at the AND Campaign. You can also find him at the Crux and the Call. Welcome back. Hey, Carmen. How's it going? Thanks for having me. I- I'm well. I'm well. It's good to have you back. Okay, let's let's um, start where we concluded our conversation a couple of weeks ago. Um, tell us a little bit about the City Roots Atlanta event. Yeah, for sure. So just some background on the on the issue uh, in in major cities all over the country. There is a low income housing crisis where because of gentrification and just how the market is going. A lot of these urban spaces have become spaces where poor people can't afford to live there. So if you go to Seattle, if you go to uh, San Francisco, the only places where poor people can live in the city is on the streets. Uh, and Atlanta is not there yet. And I think we have the will to stay to, to keep us from doing that. And so we're advocating for more uh, low income housing in the city of Atlanta. We got together on MLK Day. There was a, there's always an MLK Day march in Atlanta. And so we got hundreds of Christians and others together to really advocate for this issue and, and to make it one of the top issues in the city of Atlanta uh, for 2020. And so if folks um, maybe they're maybe they're living in the Twin Cities and they're saying oh, this is a huge issue for us. Um, where can they go to maybe be inspired and to see what you guys are doing so that they might uh, do something similar? Yeah, sure. You can go to cityrootsatl.com uh, and you can you, you can get the information on this movement that's, that's just getting started and, and what we're trying to do. But all the information should be on the website. I love that. Um, okay, so Justin, you, um, you get to go lots of places and speak on a number of topics. Um, you have an upcoming event, and it is called the CCCU, which is just, you know, frankly, kind of a crazy mouthful. Um, uh, but that's the Christian um, college the count- presidents, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, the Council of is. Christian Colleges and Universities. It's their President's Day. So all the presidents uh, from the schools, from Christian schools all over the nation, the presidents will be there with one. I think most of them are bringing one student with them. So um, the president of the university that uh, is the parent of this radio station will be there. Uh, And so we look forward to you meeting Dr. Curtin, if you have not already. Can you give us a little preview um, of of what you're going to be talking about? I mean, it's you know, it seems like a, a, a really interesting group of people to have the opportunity to address. And so what are you taking to them? Yeah, so I'll be talking about uh, Christian political engagement with an emphasis on religious liberty. And then, so I'll be talking about some of the complexities of the religious liberty conversation and uh, honestly why certain groups don't get involved as much, even though, you know, they have as much to lose as anyone else when it comes to that conversation. So when I think about um, having that kind of conversation with, let's say, college students, I feel like that's when they're kind of ripe to be 
um, to be engaged not only on the issues of the day, but trained up in how they might positively engage wherever it is that God calls them after college. Um, is that sort of one of your hopes? Yeah, I definitely wanted to. I wanted to be informative. We're gonna do. I'm gonna deal with some tough topics, but we certainly want to be just aspirational and say, okay, here's a framework for engaging the cultural and civic space. Here's what this should look like. Now, it doesn't come in one form, but there are certain things that I think the Bible calls us to do and not to do uh, that we should all follow. I mean, is that like sort of speak in civil terms? I mean, you're you're probably talking about some pretty basic things. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got to look at, you know, the AND campaign always talks about compassion and conviction. And, and it seems like we've kind of separated those two things. So, you know, conservatives will talk more about the compassion side. Uh, progressives may talk more about the, uh, I'm sorry, conservatives may talk more about the uh, conviction side. Uh, progressives talk more about the compassion side. But the truth of the matter is the Bible talks about both. And in order for those to be balanced, uh, truth and love need to be together, not separated. So part of the challenge, I think, Justin, that a lot of people face is, you know, they don't have an integrated understanding or uh, re- or relationship, maybe, with God. And so um, even when you describe it that way, that there are some who, you know, place the place the weight on the side of truth, and there's others who place the weight on the side of, um, let's say, justice, um, and, and in reality, God is perfectly holy and perfectly just. He He's not one of, mm-hmm. or he's not more of one than the other, and he and and he's perfectly God, as fully both love and truth, um, or love and justice, uh, or justice and truth. I mean, do you see what I'm saying? Like, so yeah, don't absolutely. don't you feel like there's a one of the things that you are speaking into is the reality that we have a lot of Christians who are disintegrated in their faith. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Um, you know, we have to realize that when we're talking about love and truth or ju- or uh, justice and moral order, that you don't really have justice if you don't have moral order, right? Or you don't have moral or- order if you don't have justice. You can't really uh, be loving if you're not being truthful. Uh, and you can't have the truth without being loving because, you you know, at that point, it's it's just a harshness that is not of God. And so we need both of those things to have e- to have either of them. And it's really about where where is our worldview? Right. Do we have a biblical worldview or when we get into politics, do we now have a, you know, ideological conservative or ideological progressive point of view? Our point of view should always be biblical. And um, and that, that has to be the basis of our civic engagement. Okay, Justin Gibney and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. We're going to make a pivot to the presidential primary conversation and uh, and to, well, the response of one of the candidates on a stage answering questions from pro-life Democrats about abortion. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my my conversation with Justin Gibney from the AND campaign. Justin, um, you have a concern about, uh, as we all do, about the primary process, the presidential primary process for the Democrat Party, the Iowa caucus less than a week away. Uh, maybe give us some of your thoughts on the outreach to particularly religious voters um, by some of the campaigns. Yeah, um... <laughs> I think in general, it's it's been somewhat lacking. There are some efforts to do that. I know um, 
I think Andrew Yang had a, a mishap where he went to a church and, and threw on a, a choir robe and it just was kind of bad, poor form. And I think, you know, he's one of the, the folks that probably needs a stronger faith outreach team. I don't think they've been doing a great job. So so I think it's, you know, much to be uh, improved. I think it can be improved quite a bit. But there are, there are some people that are reaching out and going to churches and having conversations uh, but, you know, we've talked about this before. I'm more about the policy than what somebody has to say when they're in your church. So how does your policy reflect the fact that you respect this community? And if you dismiss uh, things like religious freedom, if you d- dismiss the sanctity of life, then that says a lot about, you know, that says that says more to me about uh, what you think about this community than you coming in and saying what I want to hear. OK, so on that point, recently, um, one of the you know, what I would call top tier candidates, Pete Buttigieg, uh, in answering questions at a town hall style forum. Um, he was answering questions. There was a, pro, a woman who stood up, uh, identified herself as a pro-life Democrat and asked uh, a very direct question about whether or not pro-life people have uh, a part in the party. Is there room in the party for a diversity of, of views related to life? And um, essentially, Pete Buttigieg said no. Yeah, I saw that. Um, and surprisingly, I think he's given even worse answers on that question before. I think he actually used the Bible at one time to kind of justify uh, late term abortion. So I, w- I wasn't so surprised by that answer. Uh, but it, but it is unfortunate. Um, the Democratic Party, in an effort to really appeal to a very narrow base that is just uh, rabid about about those kind of issues, has decided to to exclude others or or just assume that they're going to vote for Democrats either way, whether they're shown uh, kind of that respect or not. And so he he reflected that. Um, uh, I think he put it in the best terms that he could, but even in those terms, it was uh, somewhat offensive. And so um, speak to pro life Democrats right now. I mean that that I don't think I'm giving away anything to say that that's you know that's who you are. Um, uh, speak to your fe- your fellow pro life Democrats, um, and make the make the argument that there is room for this worldview in the Democratic Party. Yeah, sure. Well, the first thing I would say is that, and, and just for folks on both sides, Christians on both sides who want to be heard on this issue, because I think there are times when Republicans don't do as well on this issue as they could be uh, mm-hmm. as well. I would just say that the reason that they think they can get away with it is because you haven't been vocal. So I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for the lady that, that stood up and, and made the case. But the fact that they can dismiss it is because they don't think they have to respect it because pe- folks have been quiet on that. And, you know, as a Democrat, I do understand that that's, you know, most Democrats obviously are Democrats because they're not one issue voters on that issue. It doesn't mean they don't take it seriously, but that's not the only issue that they vote on. I've always said, though. Once you, you know, join a party, number one, it shouldn't be part of your identity. Number two, you have to you should be fighting that much harder on the issues that your party gets wrong. And so for uh, pro-life Democrats, that's an issue that you can't be quiet about just because you don't like, you know, folks in the other party. You need to speak up and make sure that it's represented because his response and response of of the party is clearly the fault of the pro-life Democrats in the party because they haven't made their voices heard. We haven't made our voices heard. So how does a person do that? Just just speak to that at a very grassroots level. If um, if there's a person listening right now and they're like, I don't even know where I would start to make my voice heard um, on a particular issue of concern to me. How, how do they do that? Let people know you th- that you exist. Uh, go to forums, make statements, 
uh, go to, I mean, even on social media. I mean, there are just very few people who are pro-life and Democrat that will speak up. And I think it's the same thing on other issues like voter rights and things like that. If you're a Republican and you know that's an important issue, then speak up. Let them know that you exist. And that way they, they're going to have to respond to you at some point. But we have to understand all of this stuff is calculated. So if they, you know, they know they have to please a certain group that's louder than you, well, then they're going to please that group and, and just assume that you're going to go along with it. So go to forums, be active, be heard. And then, you know, once you get a little further out there, start to organize people in your church or otherwise to do it with you, because that's even more powerful when it's more than one person saying the same thing and saying, hey, we're here. You need to pay attention to what uh, to our values and what we believe. I think it's easier and easier because of social media to actually then, uh, you know, find people with whom uh, oh, yeah. we do share a vision or a passion. And even if they're not in your own local community, you can still, you know, talk with them about, well, how are you doing it over there? I mean, that's why I'm encouraging people to check out what you guys are doing at City Roots Atlanta, um, even if, you know, they don't live in Atlanta, but they have the same kind of concern in their own community um, about affordable housing that would, you know, remain in the city center where, uh, most of the resources exist for the same group of people. So I just uh, appreciate, Justin, your approach to things. Always appreciate our conversations with you. Um, as always, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks, Carmen. Take care. Absolutely. We'll be right back. So good, uh, good question raised by uh, a listener, Mark who uh, feels like I softball Justin when he's on. Mark wants to know um, uh, how Justin could have supported um, the campaign and election of President Barack Obama, who, uh, whose position at the time of his election was uh, in support of late-term abortion. And um, my my response to that is, first of all, I'm sorry I didn't see that before the end of the segment. And I have asked Justin that question on prior occasions. Um, and his answer includes what we real we we all readily admit. Um, we never get to vote for a perfect candidate ever. Voting is not a one issue endeavor ever. Um, the GOP does not support many of the concerns of Christians who are um, concerned about life issues beyond the the question of abortion. Um, Democrats don't support Christians who are pro-life on the issue of abortion, but they do um, support other life issues that where, where the GOP is in the wrong place. And so um, I would say that it's uh, it's a struggle to be a Christian who's voting today. And yet we're called as citizens, dual citizens of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdoms of this world. We're called to bring the gospel to bear in those environments where where God has called us. And so um, God has particularly called Justin to bear witness in the context of one particular party. God has probably called you to bear witness um, in the context of a particular party as well. Uh, and you are called to do that faithfully where he has called you to labor. So, um, that, so that would be my answer. God needs Christians everywhere influencing, um, influencing the party platforms and the behavior of people within uh, each party and no party today. All right, uh, so we, we've got another half hour in front of us. I've got a conversation coming up with Jason Thacker. Um, okay, so here's, here's how this conversation came about. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we get this revelation about things happening on WhatsApp uh, that actually it's become like this back door into reading what's on people's phones. And Jeff Bezos' phone was read in its, like, thoroughly 
by some naughty people. And so um, we want to talk about uh, how we are giving people a backdoor into our lives by communicating with them on social media apps. And so I thought I would have a conversation with Justin Thacker about what's up with WhatsApp. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, so this is the last week that we have Charles Spurgeon Study Bibles available to give away. If you did not uh, start the new year in the Word of God, and you're not in the Word of God every single day, and you need a Bible, um, well, here's an opportunity to get one. So you can visit us at MyFaithRadio.com, and you can actually uh, enter, uh, enter to win one of the copies of the Charles Spurgeon Study Bible that we are giving away each week. Now, let's talk about the value of Bible study. Um, I had a friend just this week who was talking about um, sort of a waking up, waking up to the newness of Ephesians 6 and and the encouragement there to put on the full armor of God. And he, and he said, you know, I've, I've read that passage a number of times. And then I realized God is telling me to do it. You're not just supposed to read the word of God. You're supposed to do it. He said, I was just convicted about the way James says, um, you know, be a doer of the word. And he's like, you know, here's tangible, here's something tangible in Ephesians chapter six that God is telling me to do. He's saying, put on the full armor of God. And he said, I realized that I know about the full armor of God. I've read about the full armor of God. He's like, but I haven't been putting it on every day. And so since then, He's been putting on the full armor of God intentionally every single day using Ephesians 6 as his inspiration to do that. And um, and so uh, let me just encourage you, don't just be uh, a hearer of the word, be a doer of it. What passage of scripture have you read a number of times, but you've actually never done it? You've never actually been a doer of that particular word. All right, so there's my encouragement to you today. Don't just be a hearer, but also a doer of the word. And in, in order to know what God has said, we got to be in the word, certainly before we're in the world. All right, more up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Licato. In the game of life, many of us who cross home plate do so because we were born on third base. Others aren't even on a team. Now, some people are poor because they're lazy and they need to get off their dust. Others, however, are poor because they were born in the wrong place. A latitude largely vacant of libraries, vaccinations, clean water, and paved roads. The ultimate solution to poverty is found in the compassion of God's people. Scripture endorses not forced communism, but spirit-led volunteerism among God's people. No one can do everything, but everyone can do something. What about you? Why not teach an inner-city Bible study? Use your vacation to build houses in hurricane-ravaged towns. Run for public office. Get out of your comfort zone for Christ's sake. This is Max Lucado. Joining me now is Jason Thacker. You can actually find Jason online at jasonthacker.com. Uh, he, he posts uh, uh, something each week called Weekly Tech. It's an opportunity for you know, sort of Christians to engage each week and sort of the tech news that is happening in the world. He works with the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Church. And based on his Twitter feed, where you can follow him at Jason Thacker, 
Um, he's already been in the Word of God today. He's posted Second Corinthians 5.20. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, Jason, my brother, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Yeah, good morning. Thank you for having me. Okay, so we're also kind of excited that um, we're only like, I don't know, six weeks away or something from the release date of your book, The Age of AI. Yeah, I uh, still can't believe that I actually, one, wrote a book, and two, that it's only about six weeks away. It's really exciting uh, to see how the Lord's already used this and how he's going to continue to use this, hopefully, for the building of his church. So once it's released, will you come back and talk with us about it? I would love to. Oh, that's my that's my setup for uh, for you coming back. I appreciate that. Okay, so um, when I read this or heard about this WhatsApp phishing scheme, um, I immediately thought I need to talk to Jason about that because he's going to explain to me not only what has happened but why it matters and um, and how I might be allowing, you know, frankly naughty people a backdoor into my private life through social media. So talk about uh, this WhatsApp story related to, you know, Jeff Bezos and um, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, uh, Mohammed bin Salman. Yeah, it's a pretty crazy story, honestly. Um, But as many of the listeners know, WhatsApp is a really popular messaging platform um, that is especially popular overseas. Um, It's one of the main ways that people connect especially in more authoritarian type states or more um, kind of difficult types of countries. And so just last week, The Guardian and The Financial Times ran a report um, of a phishing scheme, as you described, from uh, Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos. Um, Mohammed bin Salman, who's the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, and Bezos had been connecting over the last few years since uh, the crown prince had made a U.S. visit. And they talked about business, they talked about various stuff, but not a lot. And so back in 2018 is actually when the news broke um, that Jeff Bezos had received a corrupt file, kind of a random message uh, from the the crown prince's account, um, whether it was him or someone else using his account, we don't really know. But the short of it is, is that this corrupt file ended up sending massive amounts of data back to Saudi Arabia from Jeff Bezos's phone, which obviously would scare most of us, but especially if you're one of the richest people in the world uh, who also uh, happens to own the Washington Post um, as a number of other companies. And so it's just kind of a really scary thing, I think, for a lot of people in our uh, age when we're talking about privacy and those type of issues, and especially a lot of the confidential and personal information we keep on our phones. You know, when we think about how this story um, unfolded in the timeline related to it, you know, it seems as if this phishing scheme, which phishing here starts with a P-H, this phishing scheme um, probably found some uh, personal information about Jeff Bezos that was then, you know, publicly shared in a way that caused him personal harm in his own uh, marriage and life, um, but certainly it caused him, uh, well, potentially caused some um, very real physical harm to one associate at the Washington Post. I mean, I, I just think about the the things that we communicate on all of our social media platforms, and many of those things we imagine are being communicated privately. But the stuff that my phone knows is is a lot. And so, how do I best protect myself um, if I'm on a social media platform? Um, 
how do I protect myself against that platform becoming a backdoor into the rest of my life? Yeah, and that's a really good question. A lot of uh, conversations are happening in our nation right now, even internationally, about things called like end-to-end encryption. That's kind of a popular term thrown around. Well, WhatsApp is actually one of the more secure platforms for messaging. What it means to be end-to-end encrypted is that your phone has a special key to unlock the message, and the person who's receiving or sending that message to you, as you connect, each of you have your own key. Um, And so you're able to unlock those messages. A lot of times when hacking happens, it happens when a message is in transit. So it's going from point A to point B. And simply put, um, end-to-end encryption is a really safe way to do that so that no one can access those messages. Even if they get the data, they can't unlock it. Only you or the recipient can. Um, This specific phishing scheme and kind of hacking is more interesting because it was actually a file that was sent, an unknown file, which sometimes we get random emails um, from uh, from people saying that they're the prince in Africa and they want to send us money. And that if we only click on this link, that's really honestly one of the best ways for us to protect ourselves is to not click on those links, to not use these files, or just to see what somebody randomly sent us, uh, whether it was on WhatsApp or through an email or uh, a random link on the internet, is we need to be kind of uh, thinking about the fact that people are going to use technology for malicious means. They are going to use these things to exploit the weak and the vulnerable. Uh, often that is us, but sometimes it's our grandparents um, who get random messages saying that their child, you know, their grandchild's in jail and they need to have the money wired to this account to get it out. Well, you know, my grandmother wouldn't have known. Uh, she would have thought something terrible happened to me. And so there's ways that technology can be used to exploit uh, the weak or the vulnerable or those who just aren't um, aware of how this technology can be used. And so I think the best way for us to protect ourselves is to be cautious, uh, be wary, don't open messages that you don't know what are, um, and especially don't be clicking on links that are randomly sent to you. All right, I'm going to continue my conversation in just a moment with Jason Thacker. He and I are going to talk a little bit about AI, artificial intelligence, maybe some updates related to that um, and things that, you know, frankly, most of us don't know because it's not the it's not the place where we're paying attention all the time. Uh, so that conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. If I Continuing my conversation with Jason Thacker, you can find him online at jasonthacker.com. Jason, um, I feel like in the same way that I don't really know how the radio works and and I don't really know how when I call somebody on my cell phone from any random location and they are in any random location, the two of us are connected, I feel equally um, uninformed about what AI is is and how it works. So can we, you know, you have the curse of knowledge, but the rest of us um, do not in this area. So can you give us like a basic introduction to AI? Um, And then I'm going to ask you some of the uh, some of the questions that literally are bouncing around the headlines today related to AI. Yeah, for sure. Well, artificial intelligence sounds like a really fancy technology. It's been around for a long time, actually, Uh, back in like the 
early 50s, kind of early 60s, when, when the technology was starting to be developed alongside computer technology. And essentially what artificial intelligence is, is a computer program that's um, able to exhibit some form of intelligence, meaning it's not just programmed to do, you know, one plus one equals two. It's able to think is a kind of a popular way people like to think about it. So when you think about AI, it's being used in your smartphones or your smart thermostat, um, even things, I won't say it loud because all the devices in my house will light up, but if you uh, have certain uh, smart speakers or Alexa or Good HomePod morning, Alexa. things like that. Oh, I was going to try to exactly. <laughs> but uh, those devices, they're always listening to us. And so when you talk, when you're able to voice dictate into your phone, there's an AI behind that that's taking your voice and processing it and then turning it into text. It isn't magic, like all often a lot of people think it is. It's a very complex uh, computer algorithm um, is another way to talk about AI. And it's just a very complex AI system that's being able to do that. And so AI is not just using our smart speakers or dictation. It's using to drive you know, our thermostats or our cars even. And now we're starting to see it using our banking systems, our uh, manufacturing and in our economy. Uh, things about automation or robots. There's a lot of fear uh, thrown around with the term of AI. You see a lot of like red-eyed robots ready to take your jobs um, and it's, it's kind of killer robots. You have a lot of this hype that's surrounding AI, but AI is an extremely useful technology, uh, that we use every single day. And so if AI, if our AI systems all of a sudden shut down, everything would shut down our communication systems, our manufacturing, our economy, our national security, uh, because so much of what we do does rely on artificial intelligence. Okay, so robots that look like us and um, and with whom we might interact as people that we're not on the uh, on that horizon. But I did read a headline that AI accurately predicted um, the Grammy Awards on Sunday night. Yeah, it also um, is with the coronavirus that's kind of spreading throughout China right now. There was an AI, they call him an epidemiologist who. Uh, that was able to detect and kind of warn people that there might be a virus outbreak. And what AI is doing is it's taking a massive amount of data and seeing trends and kind of what people are talking about and able to kind of compile that. And as a human person, when you look at a bunch of data, we make connections. The AI system is able to do that too. Um, and so it's not just uh, kind of relegated to our smart speakers, but we are even starting to see more human-like robots starting to interact. Um, I was just, I actually just finished an article that will run next week about uh, an AI priest who is this, this AI robot able to recite sermons or able to interact with parishioners uh, that confess their sins. And then this AI system finds an applicable Bible verse and reads that and recites it back to them. You have a lot of these kind of, they sound futuristic and sci-fi, and some of it is in many ways, but it's something that I think most of the Christian church isn't really prepared for, hasn't really even thought about. And that's what I hope to do in this book and throughout my work is to help equip the church to, to be proactively engaging these issues rather than reacting as we do to so many other social issues. We kind of have to play catch up. And I think for the first time in a long time, we might be able to get ahead of a social issue and really speak to the real human dignity type issues, image of God issues uh, that we're facing and the questions that our culture is asking. 
I think it's fair to say that um, this is not a subject matter that most uh, pastors and congregations are actively engaged in, in terms of, hey, there's an ethical conversation to be had here about how much I adapt my life to the technology that's available, um, how much I rely on it, how much I participate in it, um, how much I fear it. I think those are absolutely relevant conversations. And there's also this you know, this question, I mean, you know, when we get to the place where it sure does seem like these machines are um, are thinking, um, you, you know, we're going to arrive at the place, Jason, where people start imagining that they are alive. And so life itself and what it means to be human, I think, is the point of this conversation. We look forward to the age of AI, artificial intelligence and the future of humanity. It's a book releasing Pretty soon, like early, early March um, by Jason Thacker. To get a foretaste and to read what Jason is writing each and every week, you can check out JasonThacker.com. Jason, thank you so much for your work and and for just helping us understand the age in which we live. Thank you so much, Carmen. It was a joy to be with with you this morning. I appreciate it. All right, friends, we'll be right back. Life is complex. Uh, that'll be my summary statement related to all of the conversations we've had today and, frankly, all of the things that you are going to encounter in the day ahead. Life is complex. People are complex. Um, and in as much as I want to be really, really sensitive to what's going on in the lives of other people, I also recognize I'm never going to know. And so one of the things that I uh, seek to do is just as I'm entering into a situation, a conversation, Uh, maybe a conflict, is just to recognize that there's a lot more going on in the life of that other individual than I will ever know, but that God knows them fully. God knows them fully. And if I trust the spirit of the living God, which is within me, to give me the mind of Christ in this particular conversation, then even though I don't know, and I won't ever know, um, everything that is not only going on right now in the life of that other person but everything that has happened to them along the way that has produced this moment and their reaction in this moment and their response to um, whatever whatever we're dealing with together. I can still be an agent of grace. I can be um, an ambassador of the king and the kingdom. I can represent Christ, who, if he was standing right there, like he would know, right? He would be able to say, hey, um, I actually saw you sitting under the tree around the corner before we met. I mean, you know, Jesus would be able to, uh, as he did with the woman at the well, you know, tell her everything about herself. Um, and, and, and you and I can't do that. Like, right. We don't have that kind of window into, uh, into the history and the life and the soul of another person, but this, we know they have a history and it has been complex. And the the things they're dealing with in life today, in the same way that this is true of each one of us, the things they're dealing with are complex. And so I can simply yield um, to the power, the, the present power of the Holy Spirit to tend to the concern of the other person. And that's what I do. I mean, that's what I try to do um, is just acknowledge that I belong to Christ in this moment. I belong to Christ in this moment. And I need the mind of Christ on this particular matter. And I need the spirit of Christ to bring God's power to bear in this conversation because I am never going to know what got this other person to this point or what they're dealing with. But I do know God is interested in them deeply, profoundly, eternally. So let's be those kinds of agents of grace today in the world that God so loves. Have a great day. 
and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.